Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Hey Church, good morning. Andre here, lead pastor of the city as always. So good to have you join us for our online gathering. I'm here joined by our band and some of our volunteers who, uh, you know, put in all the work in making uh, this service happen. I'm just the pretty face that shows up and talks to you for one hour. I'm just the good looks here. Uh, just kidding. But uh, so good to have you join us online gathering, whether on Facebook or on YouTube. Just let us know that you are watching uh, and just shoot a comment in. We would just love to know uh, that you are around and uh, that our family has all uh, come together uh, to worship God uh, in this moment, in this time, uh, in this space. Um, so so thankful for our worship team. Wasn't that an amazing time of worship? I was so anointed and I was so blessed by it. Thank you, team, for how you tirelessly serve. And it's also good to have Desmond back uh, from a bout of COVID. Uh, and so you may say he is a co-victor. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure I'm the first one who came out with that term. And so they should put me on mothership or something. Uh, but yeah, so good to have Desmond back. Uh, there are a couple of people uh, who uh, have recently contracted uh, the virus uh, in the last uh, week, especially uh, actually in the last day. And so uh, do keep our community in prayer. Uh, do keep Pastor Janice in prayer. She's battling a really nasty bout of the virus as well. And uh, we uh, stand with, with Pastor Jan, the Chen family, and just pray God's healing, His wonder-working power, the name of Jesus, that we've just sung about. The name of Jesus, when it's proclaimed, every knee shall bow, every sickness shall bow at the mention of the name of Jesus. You know, Jesus' name is it's, it's such a great privilege to even say the name of Jesus. I wonder if you think about that. In the Old Testament, the name of God was something that you couldn't even utter. Right? If you were to write the name of God in the Old Testament, you would have to ceremoniously dispose of the pen and use a new pen after you would to perform the act because the name of God was so revered. It was something that you couldn't just utter. But now in the New Testament, God has given us his name, the name of his son, Jesus, and we get to freely proclaim it. We get to speak the name of Jesus over circumstance, over trial, over infirmities, and watch God's power invade heaven on earth indeed. What a privilege, what a grace. And so we're praying for all of you this day, uh, even as Pastor Daniel shared, for whatever you're going through and trusting for the Spirit of God to invade you wherever you are at. Well, we are week five, folks, of our missional life. And we have titled this series, Our Missional Life, because, you know, missions is not just a program or an initiative of the church. It isn't just something that you give funds to and the church does for you. But we are all called as the people of God to be missional, to join in God's mission to join in his kingdom work. And last week, I spoke about how the mission of God isn't just good initiatives, isn't just being kind to people, isn't just social justice. Though it may be a sum of, it may be a part of it, isn't the entire sum of God's mission and call for the church. It's far too low a view. God's mission for all of us as the people of God is simply captured in this one phrase that we read in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what we are all to do. That's what we are all to pursue. That is the call of God. That is hitting the mark of God in our life, giving our whole hearts, our whole beings, all of our resources, all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength towards this vision, God's kingdom, heaven on earth. And so over the next few weeks, we are 
attempting to discover what does it mean to join in God's mission? What does it mean to advance God's kingdom? In the face of the kingdoms of darkness we talked about last week, we have an adversary that wars against us. We have an enemy that wars against us. What does it look like to advance God's kingdom in the face of darkness? What does it look like to advance God's kingdom in the midst of the, in the, the pool of culture, in the midst of polarizing uh, uh, pursuits that pull our attention out of factions away from God. What does it look like to pursue God's kingdom? And we are attempting to get practical over the next few weeks. Uh, Andrew will be talking about prophecy next week, which I'm really excited about. We'll have a guest speaker coming in uh, after him to talk about calling and vocation. Uh, and so, you know, this is going to be an amazing series as we look to wrap it up in the next few weeks. And then, boom, folks, we are in Christmas. Uh, and so, yes, happy New Year, Christmas to you very soon. Uh, I'm looking to buy a live Christmas tree. I have not learned my lesson, but uh, yes, all that to say, end of the year coming real soon. Now, beginning week five of this series, I have a talk for you this morning, and I'll invite you right now to just take out your Bibles and lean in and let us all hear together the Word of God and what the Spirit wishes to say to us through this time. Now, um, you know, in recent weeks, uh, we've seen uh, the opening of uh, several VTLs, vaccinated travel lanes, and uh, some of y'all are traveling, some of y'all are planning to travel uh, in the month of December. You have a bunch of countries you want to go to. Uh, I really want to go to Japan. Uh, there's a two-year, uh, it's a plan that's like two years old that our live group had you know, uh, to go to Japan as a group that we haven't been able to uh, do, but you know, that's a country I'm looking forward to going. But aside from that, uh, one of the things that I've been thinking about, that I've been missing a whole lot, especially in the last couple of years, is going for a missions trip. I wonder how many of you have gone for one of these trips where you've gone to a different country, a different land, and served the people in that land. And to me, you know, when in relation to short-term missions, I really believe that it is the one who is being sent that is far more blessed than the ones who are receiving those who are sent. Uh, just, you know, the ability to go to a different land and see the Spirit of God at work, His kingdom advancing in a land that is different from my own, a context different from my own, seeing God's Spirit, kingdom his power, transcend culture, transcend language, transcend geography, uh, it's a brilliant and a powerful thing. Now, one of the things I I've uh, observed as a phenomenon uh, in the time I've done missions, I've been to numerous trips, I can't even count them, but every time I go on a missions trip, uh, I've noticed this phenomenon, and that is this, that I somehow seem to experience more of the power of God, more healing, more breakthrough, more deliverance whenever I go to another country. I don't know whether you've experienced that. Right? I've seen so much more power, so much more breakthrough. Sometimes I look at my hands, I'm like, wow, God, you're doing this through me. And all of this tends to happen you know, when I leave my context and go to a different country. It's as though you, know, you bought the plane and the stewardess comes down the line and it's like, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be handing out spiritual gifts that are operational in this different country. And so please uh, use them and uh, enjoy. And then when you bought the plane coming back to Singapore and it's like, ladies and gentlemen, please put your chairs up to the upright position, your tray tables secured and uh, leave those spiritual gifts in the uh, pocket uh, in the front seat uh, because they are no, of no use uh, here. I don't know, <laughs> of course that doesn't happen, but it almost feels that way, right? That somehow you know, when you leave to a different country, you experience a, a measure of grace and anointing and power, and then you come back home and all of a sudden you feel 
powerless. You don't see that measure of breakthrough. I wonder how many of you experienced the same thing. Now, it's of course led me to this question, you know, in pondering this experience, that I've asked myself, you know, why don't I see breakthrough, power, miracles to that degree? Where is the power? Where is the breakthrough? Where is the Spirit of God at work where I'm at? Why am I seeing so little breakthrough? Now, I don't have all the answers, but I think a good place to, this is a good place to start as a point of reflection. And that is this, you know, are we as a people, in light of all that we've heard, the kingdom, his mission, are we eager to see God's power, his spirit at work among us, in our context, in our place, because it's really easy to sing songs that proclaim this truth. But are we eager? Will we push ourselves out of our comfort zones? Will we inconvenience ourselves in order to see that made reality in our lives? It's really easy to profess a thing, but it's a whole nother method to posture your life, to adjust, to make changes in order for that to be a reality. And so are we eager to see the power of God his kingdom invade our world because it's certainly going to be disruptive. It's certainly going to cost. And so that is what we're going to be looking into this morning, the power of God, miracles. Specifically, we're going to talk about this morning, healing the sick, praying for the sick. And that is how God wants to manifest his power through us and how healing, praying for the sick is a vital and essential part of Jesus' ministry on the earth, and by extension, the church. And so as always, we're going to open up this morning reading a couple of passages of scripture before going to God in prayer. Let's read James chapter 5, starting verse 13. And this is James, you know, I believe, admonition to the local church, to any community of faith. He says this in verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Let us also read Luke chapter 4, starting verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching the synagogue, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found a place where it is written, Hear the word of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened on Him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. As mentioned for week five of our missional life, we'll be speaking on the subject, healing the sick. Let us look to God in prayer as we begin this time. Father, we come to you this day as your sons and daughters, recognizing God, all that you have 
done for us, how you sent your son to save us, how your grace and mercy has met us in our weakness, in all that we face, God, you are faithful and true and our ever-present help in time of need. When we call upon your name, you most certainly meet us. When we pray, it's not just a vain act of repetition, but when we pray, God, you hear our prayers. You draw near, you listen, you intervene. And so God, today we remind ourselves, God, that you are alive, that you are real, that you are present, that we can look to you, God, in all that we face. We don't have to look to ourselves to live this life, to overcome all that we face in and of our own strength. We can look to you because you are alive and your son's resurrection testifies of this. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is alive in us, bringing life to our mortal bodies. So God, we look to you this day. We ask for you to speak to us. Move our hearts. Move our hearts to you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Now, this morning I'm going to be speaking on the subject of healing the sick. And I speak, uh, first off, as a person who has spent, you know, really the better part of my ministry life uh, pursuing this thing called healing the sick and praying for the sick. You know, I've had miracles happen when I pray. I've seen uh, knees, you know, pop back. You know, I've seen uh, backs healed. I've seen uh, carpal tunnel healed. I've seen wrists restored. I've even seen uh, blind eyes open once on a missions trip. Uh, but I've also had things happen when I prayed. Uh, things not happen when I prayed. You know, I've had a person, a boy, I remember, uh, praying for him in the hospital, and he was going through something really, really horrific. And I remember uh, that moment of prayer. It was one of the most profound moments I've ever experienced in my life. I felt so much faith in that moment. And yet nothing happened for that boy, and he passed on two days after we prayed. For him, you know, I've seen people succumb to disease uh, even after prayer. I've been on both sides of this experience. I've also been a recipient of the healing uh, power of God. I've been recipient of healing ministry. Uh, I've had things happen in my body to which I have no explanation for, like a day and night kind of experience. I've seen the power of God not just working through me, but working in me. And this is where I'm coming from this day, speaking about healing. Now, typically a message on healing, I don't know about you, but for me, it's like navigating through a minefield, right? Because there's all sorts of like theological hurdles. There's like emotional baggages. And for some of us, you know, we are really uncomfortable with this thing of healing and has, have some measure of hesitancy because of its methodology or how it's talked about or how you've experienced it being done. Perhaps someone has said to you or someone close to you that, hey, the reason you're not healed is because you do not have enough faith. And you have left an experience uh, similar to that, you know, riddled with guilt and shame and completely dismissed this as a valid ministry, as something to pursue. Now, there are folks uh, smarter than me, many, many folks smarter than me, that have written an entire book series, have done a year-long preaching sermons, a series on healing, and uh, there's no way I can cover the entire breadth of the topic 
uh, in just one session. So my aim today is not to just cover all the ground that needs to be covered, but today my goal is simple. I would like to give us a biblical basis for the ministry of healing, why it is vital and essential for us as believers, and hopefully end us on a practical plane. How do we actually begin to move uh, in healing, to pray for the sick? Now, if you were in Galilee as a first century Jew and witnessed the ministry of Jesus, right, and seeing all that he did, I think the thing that will catch our attention more than anything Jesus did would be the miracle, specifically healing. Jesus was not just a teacher, a preacher, a rabbi, a sage, a philosopher, a reformer. He was and still is a miracle worker. And this is the thing that first distinguished Jesus. And this is the thing that drew the multitudes to Jesus. And this is the thing that sets Jesus apart from all other sages and spiritual leaders in his day. He worked miracles. He didn't just scatter miracles like little seeds. He was prolific in moving in the miraculous. And the most common miracle he performed was that of healing. Now, there's this line that we read at the end of Luke chapter 4, that passage that we just read. And there's this line, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, this is Jesus' way of saying this. All that you have heard me proclaim in this reading of Isaiah, this kingdom that you long for, where the oppressed are set free, where the blind see again, where the lame walk, where those who live bound and oppressed are set free, where the physically broken find healing and restoration, where the lost are found, that kingdom has come. It is in breaking into the world through me, Jesus. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This world, as you know it, will never be the same again. And if you know anything about Luke's gospel, right? Luke chapter 4, Jesus makes this proclamation. And everything that follows from that point on all the way to the right, you can almost look at Luke chapter 4 as a table of contents for the rest of the gospel of Luke. Because Jesus would go about doing what he said. He would heal the sick, the blind would see, the oppressed would be set free. Now, from this point on in the message, I'm going to read through a whole bunch of scripture. Now, if you don't read the Bible daily, this would be like a week's content worth for you, but I still encourage you to read your Bible daily. But I think it's so crucial for us to see this in the pages of scripture. And I pray that even as we go through story after story of Jesus's wonder working power, it will whet your appetite for what is possible in your life. And it will stir in you a desire for the same to be done in and through you. Let's begin in Luke chapter four, verse 38 says this, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. And he asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over and rebuked the fever. Notice this, Jesus spoke to that fever and he rebuked it. And it left her. And she got up at once and began to wait on them. I love that last line. She got up at once and began to wait on them. It's almost as though Jesus went, I was at synagogue all day. It's been a long day, I've not eaten. Could you please make me a sandwich? Uh, I don't know, I'm paraphrasing. This is Andre's message version. Right, uh, let's look at Luke chapter five, verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, 
a man came along and was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, if that word clean is lost on you, it wasn't as though he was just uh, you know, physically dirty but he was ceremoniously unclean. In first century Jewish culture, he would be completely cut off from society, completely cut off from synagogue. He wouldn't be able to participate in worship. That was what it meant to be unclean. And so we see this desperate plea, Lord, if you're willing, make me clean. Verse 13, it says that Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I am willing, be clean, and immediately the leprosy left him. This is the wonder-working power of Jesus. Let's read on further. Luke chapter 6, verse 17. He went down with them and stood on the level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number from all Judea, Jerusalem, the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon. Basically, this means that everyone came. In verse 18, they all who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Notice this phrase. How many were healed? Not just most. All of them were healed in Jesus' ministry. Last two passages to look through. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There was a centurion servant whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they had come to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and is built of synagogue. Jesus went with them. Let's just, uh, let's just read down further. He was not far from the house when the centurion send friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I don't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. Let's skip down to verse 9. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the man who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Jesus sent this word and the servant was made well. Last passage, if you're following me still. Luke chapter 7, starting verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nine, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and said, Do not cry. Verse 14, Then he went up and touched the beer that they were carrying him on and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us. They said, God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Basically, everyone spoke of Jesus of all that he performed, all that he had done. If we just read sequentially Luke Gospel from Luke chapter 4 all the way to Luke chapter 7, and, isn't, and this is just a small part of all that Jesus did on the earth. The Bible tells us that if, if we were to write about all the works of Jesus, 
The, the, if the sky was parchment, it wouldn't be even able to contain all that he did. But I hope that in our reading, you caught a glimpse of who Jesus was on the earth. He was a teacher. He was a sage. He was a philosopher, a reformer. But he was also very much a miracle worker. It wasn't just a peripheral sight thing. It was very much what he did and who he was. Now, you may be asking this question after reading story after story, right? How does one get healed by Jesus? Is this a, is that a formula? Is that something that you should do? And so we read, right, you know, really a plethora of circumstances that people found themselves in to which Jesus came and met them, right? Do you, you know, catch him after synagogue one day and make him a sandwich? Do you beg and plead with him as Aleppo did? Do you travel long distance by foot? Do you have to have the right boss, you know, who have a right in with Jesus and plead with him and then you get healed? Or do you have to get emotional, cry and gain Jesus' sympathy in order to heal you? Well, no. No, because healing wasn't something that happened because of something they did. Healing was something that Jesus simply did. Jesus simply healed because that was who he was. Power came out of him to heal. Healing was not merely something Jesus did that can be separated from who he is. Jesus is the healer. Which brings me to this point, and it's simple, but it begs for us to re-grasp it as a vision for our lives. And that is this, healing the sick was at the heart of Jesus' life, mission, and ministry. It was at the heart. It was not a peripheral thing. Someone actually did the math and said that 38.5% of the stories in the four Gospels are about healing. And that says a lot, right? Everywhere Jesus goes, healing wasn't just off to the side of the gospel. It was present in the majority of Jesus' interactions with people. In the gospels, we see an immediate connection between the inbreaking of God's kingdom in the person of Jesus and the proclamation of good news and healing. Now, it's interesting to note that the word heal and the word save in the Bible actually stems from the same Greek word, and that is the word sozo, sozo, which says to us that healing and salvation are not two compartmentalized separate ideas, but they are one and the same. I'll show you a couple of passages of scripture. Mark chapter 5, let's read verse 34. He said to a daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. That word there is sozo. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 9, Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house. And that word there is soterio, which, is, which also stems from the root word sozo. And so to Jesus, this proclamation of good news, of salvation, of being set free from your sin, and also this proclamation of good news, that you can be set free from your infirmity, from your sickness, from pain, from things that plague your physical body. To Jesus, this proclamation came one and the same. I have come to deliver sozo. You can be set free, saved, and healed. But for many, we water down salvation to this future experience this future thing to which we would get to when we die. But to Jesus, that is not the vision that he has painted for you and me. It's not the vision that is set for us. Sozo. 
it refers to, you know, if you were to study that, it refers to the forgiveness of sin, the healing of disease, and the deliverance from torment. That is salvation. And Jesus made this provision to save the whole person, body, soul, and spirit. The gospel of salvation, if we were to be faithful to the reading of scripture, is not just some future cloud palace we get to go to. It says healing now for the whole person, body, soul, spirit, forgiveness of sin, deliverance from torment, healing in our bodies. And so we as the people of God need to abandon this vision of salvation being just a future thing, but contend for salvation to be a here and now thing. We need a wide panoramic, expensive view of what salvation is. The kingdom of God has come near. And so a question we should ask is this, in relation to all we've just heard, is this. Why do we have more faith for a person's conversion than we do for a person's healing? If Jesus proclaimed salvation and healing in the same breath, why do we not carry that same amount of faith for a person's healing? If a person were to come to you today and said, I want to be saved, and you were to walk him through a prayer dedicating his life to Jesus, you wouldn't say to the person at the end of prayer, hey, you know, I'm not too sure whether that worked, so you, know, you best behave yourself. Uh, maybe you can try two or three times and see if it actually happens. No, we have faith, right? We have faith that when we call upon the name of Jesus, we are indeed safe. Right? It is without question. But we do not carry near that measure of faith when we pray for the sick to be healed. Why is that so? Why is that so? For centuries, the church has believed for people's conversions, and rightly so. But what would happen if healing and deliverance had been included in the church's definition of salvation as it is in Scripture? What would happen? Through healing, Jesus gave his audience a glimpse of what the fullness of the kingdom of God would look like. Signs point us to the future kingdom finding expression in the here and now. Are you with me, folks? But, you know, we can end this talk with, wow, Jesus is miraculous, he is powerful, he is worthy to be praised, he is worthy of our glory, and rightly so. But Jesus didn't end his ministry and on that note. Look at me, look at all the power uh, I have, look at all the good works I've done, worship me. He didn't stop on that note. He went on to entrust this very same power and authority, this wonder-working, miraculous power made possible through the Holy Spirit. He gave this task, this mission, this power and authority to his holy church, to his followers. In Acts chapter 5, we read of this story in verse 12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick in the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Instead, crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bring the sick and those tormented by impure spirits. And all of them were healed. Isn't that a familiar line? All of them were healed. Read that of Jesus earlier. And now the apostles, the early followers of Jesus, were walking in that same power. All were being 
healed. Now, it's easy at this point for us to go, I'm not Peter, I'm not an apostle, and I'm of course not Jesus. But it's do us good to realize that in the incarnation of Christ, Jesus came fully God and fully man. And it says to us in Scripture in Acts chapter 10 that Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. And in that anointing, he went about doing good, healing the sick, destroying the works of the devil. While he is eternally God, he chose to be limited to the confines, to the restrictions of a man who had no sin. And Scripture tells us that he was empowered, anointed by the Holy Spirit. And that was what led him to do all those works. And so why is it good for us to realize this? Because Jesus did what he did through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the apostles did what Jesus did through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the early church did what Jesus did through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now today, folks, we can do what Jesus did through the power of the of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus did all those miracles just as God, it would place no demand on our lives. But because he was fully man, a sinless man, empowered, anointed by the Spirit, and he went about doing good, praying for the sick, it then says to us that this is possible. Jesus presents to us a compelling vision, example for how life can be lived on the earth. And he didn't just say, do the same things I did. He said, greater works shall you do. What a vision for life on earth. Now, I'll close off on a few last thoughts before I get to a practical model for how we can begin. We are certainly not unfamiliar with all that we've heard. The scriptures have read the possibility of miracles in our days and how Jesus has called us to pray for the sick. And so we land on this probing question. Why do we not pray for the sick? Why do we not do it? What's hindering us? What's stopping us? What are some common obstacles that we face? I'd like to propose some that I believe are really relevant for our culture and context. The first obstacle is this. There is a reluctance to be seen as unintellectual. There's a reluctance to be seen as unintellectual. And that's why we don't pray for for healing. The cultural narrative today seems to suggest to us that doubt It's for the sophisticated. Skepticism is for the cultured and the intellectual. And faith is for the simpleton and uneducated. As such, in all of our modern advancement, praying for healing can be viewed as best as unnecessary. You can get medication for that. Why do you have to pray for, for healing? Or at worst, foolish. Gordon Fee, this towering intellectual that wrote on the Holy Spirit, said this, only among intellectuals and in a scientific age, as it is, it's thought to be too hard for God to, be, to heal the sick. We are living in a world that many cultural commentators say that are many people who profess faith live as functional atheists. And what he means by that is that we may profess we believe in God, we believe in his words, we believe in prayer, we believe in power, but the way that we live how we react to circumstance, how we respond to things, what we default to is no different from an atheist. We are many ways living as functional atheists. We may affirm the power of God, but our lifestyle completely denies it. And there's a reluctance often to be seen as unintellectual. We don't want to be 
thought of as simpletons or we don't want to be thought of as someone who would, in some sense, disregard science. But I think of that verse from Paul when he says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. I am not ashamed of the gospel. And so to begin, you know, in this journey of growing and healing the sick, we perhaps need to begin with a renewed belief and conviction for the supernatural in our day and an unashamedness when it happens. We need to move from being theologically charismatic yet functionally cessationist to people empowered by the Holy Spirit. That is what we need to move to. The next thing is this, that, that, that kind of inhibits us from pursuing healing in our day, and that is this, an excessive veneration of suffering. An excessive veneration of suffering. Now, I've considered this question uh, at length, and the question is this, why should we pray for the sick when suffering, trial, and tragedy is one of the primary ways that God forms maturity and character in our lives? We know that scripture teaches that God would use suffering to bring about good in our life. We think of Romans 5 when it says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. But hear me, folks, it is a flawed idea to think that just because God uses suffering for good, that he is thus the author of that same suffering. Just because Jesus does something good through your suffering does not mean that that suffering came from Jesus. Jesus, in every interaction of sickness, sees it as an absolute abomination and contradiction to his kingdom. He talks about sickness in the same breath as the works of the devil. It's absolutely vile and evil. And Jesus was, in, very, in a very real sense, repulsed by sickness. He warred against it. Now, a story in the Bible that may give us this kind of idea of God being the author of suffering and pain is this story, this obscure story in the Bible where Paul, the apostle, talks about being afflicted in his body. He talks about having a thorn of flesh. Uh, in his body and was causing him so much pain and many would believe it's a physical infirmity, it, it is a sickness. And the Bible tells us that Paul begged God to take it away, take away this infirmity, take away this pain. And God replied and said, my grace is sufficient for you. And in a moment, Paul realized that God was, you know, even though he was suffering in his physical being, God was doing something profound and powerful in his spirit being, in his soul. But even though he had that unique experience, Paul would still refer to this infirmity as a messenger of Satan. To Paul, this sickness came from the pit of hell itself. Even though God was to bring about good in his life, that infirmity and suffering is not something to be venerated, to be thought of as holy. It is still something thought of as evil. And another thought is this, that that story is the outlier, is the unique experience. It is not, uh, the, the story of scripture, it is an anomaly, if you will. And I believe that it is in scripture precisely because it's unique, it is different. But what is the story of the gospel? What is the call of Jesus? It's simply this, to pray for the sake, to see them healed. Nowhere are we thought of or said to tolerate 
sickness. Now, you know, I, I, as a church, we've been really, I would say, um, faithful, if, if you can use that word, in keeping to the measures, you know, in, in following our guidelines. And, uh, and it's on the heart of our staff member, our volunteers, our leaders, to, you know, create a safe, conducive space for people to worship God. We want all of you all to be healthy, and far be it, you know, from us to ever, you know, uh, lead to, or, or in our foolishness or our lack of decision-making lead to uh, people unnecessarily contracting uh, the virus. And we've been really faithful in implementing these things. We want to be safe. But it is my fear of late that in being caught up in implementing all these things and, and reacting and, and making sure that things are right, that we may, over time, have developed a tendency to tolerate the very thing that Jesus has called us to demolish. I believe that there is foolishness for sure. You can do dumb things and you know, experience a consequence of this. I believe that there is wisdom in being prudent and cautious and it is a virtue that we are to embody. But hear me, people of God, there is also a kind of fear and timidity that masquerades itself as wisdom. And the scripture tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And so let us be cognizant of this and not come to a place where we tolerate the works of the devil. This is the very thing that Jesus called us to demolish, to advance his kingdom. The last kind of obstacle to us praying for the sick and growing in healing is this. It's inevitable disappointment. Inevitable disappointment. Now, a good measure of this content which I just read, from, read to you and, and, and shared uh, came from a message that I did some three years ago. It feels like a distant memory. And some three years ago, I did a sermon series on miracles. Talked about praying for the sick and... Uh, and many of you know the story. Uh, at the end of my second message uh, in that series, I got a call from my doctor and I had to be rushed to ENE and uh, basically was diagnosed with chronic uh, condition and was put on a whole lot of medication. And that was uh, the story. Now, I wish I could say that after I experienced that, while preaching on a sermon series on miracles, that my resolve burned with the passion and fire of a thousand suns. Uh, it did not. It completely quelled all sorts of passion that I had. Uh, I was shaken. I was beaten. Uh, I really couldn't pray for anyone for a while. And I realized that uh, it's been three years since I've done a message specifically on healing and miracles. Um, and, and, and it's left a, a mark. You know, it's left uh, some kind of trauma uh, in my soul, in my body. And I'm thankful that a member of the community some months ago said to me, Andre, you know, that attack on you uh, three years ago was the devil intimidating you from pursuing what you're pursuing in that moment. And, you know, that brought so much hope and healing. And then when I realized that, that we indeed have an adversary that plots, that wars against us, that does not want us to advance God's kingdom. And when we recognize that there is an enemy that is plotting against, coming against us, we recognize that we are indeed a threat. It stirs a resolve in us 
that, hey, perhaps you're doing something right. Perhaps we are going in the right direction. Bill Johnson would say this, when you don't run into the enemy every now and then, you have to begin to wonder if you're walking in the same direction as him. And so this opposition, this pushback, can be the very sign that you are making steps of progress in the right direction, that you are heading in the right direction. You know, I shared this story before. When I was in the US, um, I, uh, I bought a car my last year of studies there. And, uh, you know, I had been used to driving on the Singapore roads. It was my first time driving uh, in the States. And so I was really excited. Uh, I drove out my car, uh, you know, to the supermarket, and I made a turn. And I forgot that uh, turns don't work the same way there. And I drove onto oncoming traffic. Uh, and so I was driving my car onto oncoming traffic, and cars were uh, just blasting their horns, you know, and they were just slowing down and seeing a person drive. And then they, they saw it's me. And in, in some sense, when they saw it was an Asian person, they just went, oh, yeah. You know, and so I'm so sorry that I further that stereotype. Uh, but, you know, I drove it, and it was so traumatic, right? Cars were just like, like driving uh, 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 toward me, and people screaming at me. And then I made this, like, uber-duber creative U-turn in the midst, middle of a two-lane road. I, I just like, did like a six-point turn, and I went the other way. And what happened after that was that I did not drive for the next week. I owned a car, right? But I put it uh, in my garage. I did not drive it. I would walk two kilometers to buy groceries instead of buying, uh, instead of driving the car. Now, why I share this story, you know? Like, even though I had that experience, even though... It was traumatic, even though you know, I made a mistake. The car wasn't designed to just collect dust in a garage. The car was designed to be driven, to be taken out, to be utilized. And my prayer for all of us is that in the midst of setback, in the midst of failure and disappointment, that we will recognize that we have been given the Spirit of God, that our lives, these hands, these feet, feet has been commissioned, blessed by God to do His kingdom work. We were designed to go out, to advance his kingdom. Are you with me, folks? Yeah. And so, um, with all that being said, I would love to um, explore and share real quickly a four-step prayer model that we can employ, that we can begin to utilize uh, to grow in this ministry of praying for sick and healing. Like maybe, you know, you like me, uh, at, at one point in my life, uh, was really convicted by, by all that you read in Scripture, but you had no idea where to start, what to say, how do I do it, should I read this verse, how should I begin? I'd love to share this four-step prayer model. It's really simple, and it's been really effective uh, in my times of ministry. And the first step is this. It's uh, in a step called interview. It's pretty self-explanatory. And in this interview step, you know, it involves interviewing the person that you're praying for and asking simple questions like, what would you like prayer for? Right, this is just profound wisdom here. You want to pray for what the person needs prayer for. Uh, and another question I found that's really helpful is this, asking for a pain level. Uh, between 0 to 10, where is your pain level at now? And this is really useful uh, for uh, the subsequent steps. And the next uh, step I would love to take you through is this. It's to speak with authority. Now hear me in saying this, folks. Nowhere in Scripture are we told to pray, petition, and beg God for healing. Jesus says to his people, his followers, go and heal the sick. He does not say, go and pray to me 
beg me, to petition me, to heal the sick, and sometimes I might do it. No, he says, I have vested my authority and power in you. Go therefore to heal the sick. And so we are to follow in Jesus' example. Jesus, when he approached sickness, did not pray to the Father. He spoke directly to the sickness. He rebuked the fever. And we are to follow in his example. Jesus will speak directly to infirmity and command for it to go in Jesus' name. And so a prayer that might, might, it might sound like, you know, in the name of Jesus, that powerful name, I command this tumor to shrivel up and dissolve. And that is step two, speaking with authority. And a good point to note is this, that Jesus prayed really short prayers, right? Here are some of Jesus' prayers. Take up your mat and walk. Come forth. Be clean. Go. Really short, punchy prayers. And so it says to us that people are not healed by our verbose, lengthy, well-crafted prayers. I bind and I shakabah, you know, I shake and I bake. Does not, we don't have to have these rhymy, well-crafted prayers in order for God to do something. We simply step into the authority that is given us and speak in power. Now, the third step is this, is testing and repeating. And that is, is a good point because, you know, at the start you would have asked, where is your pain level at 0 to 10? And at this point you can ask, you know, where is your pain level at now? Is it still the same? Has it dropped? And when it, then there are like subtle, small little changes, rejoice, celebrate, because God's spirit is at work. And if nothing's happening, repeat, pray again. Scripture has this story where Jesus prayed twice for the blind man to be healed. And so if Jesus needed to pray twice, I'm pretty sure we can pray another 7,000 times. And the last step is this, is to encourage, is to encourage a person to walk, is to share a word of promise, a word of scripture. The last thing you want a person leaving after a time of prayer is to go, I do not have enough faith. It was me. It was my lack. It was me not being enough. That's why this thing didn't happen. No, you want to encourage them. You want to speak words of promise over them. And it's a good point to note that there is a difference between a healing and a miracle. Why do I say that? Because a miracle is often instantaneous. It happens in a moment. But we've seen often God heal people progressively. Over time, a person just begins to experience power and their body is healed progressively over time. And so this is a simple four-step prayer model. Just to recap, to interview, and then to speak with authority, to test and repeat, to celebrate if something happens, and then to encourage a person as they move on. Now, I'll share one final story uh, before we come to an end. Now, there's this interesting story in Acts chapter 19 about these seven men who were sons of a chief priest named Sceva. And the Bible tells of uh, these seven men going about trying to cast out evil spirits from people. And so they went about and they were like trying to move in power. And as they went about doing so, there was this instance when evil spirit, upon encountering these seven men who were trying to cast out demons, said this to them, Paul I know, Jesus I know, but you I do not know. Isn't that a fascinating story? That the spirit will respond, Jesus I know, Paul I'm pretty familiar with, but you, I do not know. I do not know you. And the story goes that the demon like, basically jumped on them and they like, went into disarray. But this story has spoken to me and a person shared with me recently. And the thought is this, that in some sense, we can develop a reputation 
among even the demonic. Um, In the kingdom of darkness, the people of God can develop some manner of reputation. Jesus had a reputation. Why? Because he went about doing the works of the kingdom. Paul had a reputation. Why? Because he went about doing the works of the kingdom. And the demonic were cognizant. They recognized the power and authority on Jesus and on Paul. Now, isn't that a vision? Isn't that a vision? You know, I long for our church to have a reputation of city. I long for our church to have a reputation for, you know, caring for the broken, for meeting needs, for being of service to our city. I long for our church to have good standing, good reputation among people in our world. But over and above that, I desire for our church to have a reputation even in the kingdom of darkness. I desire for the kingdom of darkness, demons to go, oh my gosh, there's this like city person coming. This community is like crazy one. They go about healing the sick. They're like kicking us out of people. We do not want to mess with them. That is what I want our church to be. To be known in heaven and to be known in hell. For, these, for sickness, for evil, to cower in fear when you step in the room. Why? Because Jesus has given you all power and authority. What does all mean? You have all. What do they have? They have none. That's what all means. And so, folks, this is the vision I would love to leave with you. This mission of life. Let us go about moving, walking, stepping into the power and authority that God's given us as sons and daughters. And let us advance the kingdom of God, pushing back the kingdom of darkness. All sickness, all disease, all infirmity, these are abomination to God's kingdom and that which we are to war against. Let us be such a church. Folks, the Bible tells us God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and he went about doing good, healing all who were under the power of devil because God was with him. Today we say Jesus of Nazareth has anointed his church with the Holy Spirit and power, and we are to go about doing good, healing all who are under the power of the devil, because God is with us. Amen. I invite you to stand even as the band comes back up on stage. You know, folks, it's my conviction that we can't hear the words that we've just heard and read the scriptures that we've read without doing anything. You know, the kingdom of God is not just of talk, but it's of power. And that word power in its original uh, word, wording, in its original script and language, it's the word dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite for. It implies demonstration, an explosive kind of power. And so, folks, in this moment, I'd love to activate you. I'd love to have you step into this even in this moment. That verse that we read in James chapter 5 begins with a few questions. Is there any one of you in trouble? Is there any one of you happy? Is there anyone sick among you? It implies this level of intentionality. Going into environments, going, is there anyone sick? We would love to pray for you. We want to pray for you and see you healed. 
How do we begin to even grow in our reputation? How do we even begin to grow in power? It's by developing this kind of intentionality and making it a habit in our lives. It's adjusting the needle from defaulting towards, you know, very practical, pragmatic stuff, though that may be right, to defaulting first to prayer, coming to God and saying, God, I need you. Come and heal my body. Come and heal this person. And so in this moment, you know, we have that four-step prayer model that you just heard about. It's available on the app as well. And I love for you, with whoever is around you, be it your family members or you're having a watch party in this moment, to ask this question. Is there anyone among us now who is sick? Is there anyone among us now who needs healing in their body? Is there anyone among us now who is experiencing pain? It can be something small, insignificant. You think it's insignificant, like pinky toe injury, or your knees and feels a bit out of whack. It can be something deliberating and chronic, like cancer, like high blood pressure. In this moment, I believe, hearing all that we've heard, the words of Scripture, His Holy Spirit, Jesus' Spirit being present in this room and present right where you're at, miracles are about to happen, folks. I'd love for you to step out in this, in this day. And so let me pray for you and ask for God's Spirit to come upon you mightily in this moment to anoint you for the work of ministry. And I love, even as the worship team leads us back into worship, for you to ask this question among the people around you. Is there anyone sick? Let us pray for healing. Let us trust that God will invade the circumstance. And if there are any breakthrough and, 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 and changes in your body, let us know in the chat. Last week, I released a word of knowledge about someone you know, having a ring around their head and it's causing a lot of pressure and headache. And that person got healed after that word was released. And I'm trusting that just as Jesus sent His word and a centurion servant was healed, that today when we speak the word of Jesus, His name, miracles happen. Power flows out. Healing happens. And so I invite you to participate in this work. And as always, you know, our Perfect teams are available for you if you love prayer as well. Let me pray for you this day. Wherever you're at, I invite you to lift your hands before you and let's ask for Holy Spirit to come upon us. Jesus, we respond to your work this day. We respond to your invitation to your people to not just be recipients of your healing grace, but we heralds of this coming kingdom to be your hands and feet, to push back the kingdoms of darkness to extend mercy and grace through this ministry of healing. So God, as your people, we ask, come Holy Spirit, anoint us for this work. Fill us with power. We are unsatisfied with all that we've seen to this point. We are unsatisfied with cowering in fear, with being timid at the face of infirmity. But we, your people, want to be the ones filled with faith, want to be the ones filled with power, want to be the ones that confront the works of the devil and see your kingdom advance all around us, be it in cities, nations, and in bodies. So Spirit of God, fill us with power this day. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.